Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, it's that time of the week. It is the best time to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. Thank you for joining us this week. My name is Gabe. My co-host is sitting right across from me via Zoom. That is Chris Goff. Chris, how are you doing this week? Well, good, Gabe. It's uh, it's it's spring break week, so I'm getting ready to hit the road. So I wanted to uh, do one of these shows before I leave. But gosh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like five or six nights with the two boys that are bored after five seconds of anything i do for them so yeah yeah let's let's uh, speaking of bored uh, how many people were all pissed off last night about mania huh oh my god we are going to jump into that we are going to talk about wrestlemania we are literally fresh off the heels of wrestlemania night two last night we're going to talk about wrestlemania and chris we've got a great interview lined up uh this week so we got a, a jam-packed show so let's jump right into it like you said WrestleMania happened this last weekend. And yes, of course, we will talk about the sale of the WWE that was officially announced this morning. Chris, being a former writer of the WWE, will share his thoughts and opinions. But let's jump into the WrestleMania recap, so to speak. So yeah, last night, Cody Rhodes unsuccessful in, de- in uh, capturing the title from Roman Reigns. Chris, I you know we've seen a lot of chatter online. I thought it was built up pretty much as well as you can build up a story pretty much nowadays to lead us to believe that uh, Cody Rhodes was going to win last night and he came up short. Chris, what do you think this is going to do to Cody Rhodes? You know, I don't know. Like, so I thought this was a slam dunk. And every time you think something's a slam dunk at WWE, a lot of times it doesn't have, it's a swerve, bro. Like he's not even there. You can't blame him. I don't know. Uh, you know, I thought it was, I guess, like, looking back now after thinking about it for 12 hours or whatever, that it did not go down where Cody does not beat Roman Reigns, uh, it just becomes a uh, point of, like, okay, so why didn't it happen? Now, one reason what I, that I think, Gabe, that I was just saying to you earlier that I think it didn't happen is, okay, this is right, WrestleMania, and I think this is awesome. I mean, whatever you want to say about Vince McMahon, he may be a horrible human being, but he is a fantastic businessman, <laughs> okay, he just is. And they are selling WWE Endeavor. And I know we're going to talk about that, as you mentioned, later. But I do want to say it does concurrently happen with this huge main event at WrestleMania. So was part of the reason they didn't have Cody win the fact that they wanted Roman Reigns to be the flag carrier going into this new deal with Endeavor because he, ha- he is a true, you know, you know, leader of the locker room, leader of like, you know, him, Brock Lesnar have basically held this company together for the last few years. You know, of course the bloodline storyline has been great, but if you want to look at individuals, it's been Brock and Roman Reigns have been holding this together. Most, most of the way Cody Rhodes, you know, he is not necessarily what I would put a tippy top, a lister, uh, WrestleMania. Oh, he's up there with the likes of Bret Hart, Stone Cold Undertaker. He's not. Okay. And I used to say this about the B level people when I was there, like, I always used to get my friends mad at me because when 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 the Stone Colds and the Rocks left, then you're left with, okay, who's our champions? Randy Orton, Edge, you know, people like that. I'm like, these guys are good, 
that Randy Orton's very good. So is Edge, but they're not Stone Cold, The Rock, Undertaker, Triple H, Mick Foley. They're not. And so now we've dropped what I consider to be, in my opinion, you've had John Cena was in there for a while, which of course is another huge name in wrestling, but you've dropped another level after the Edge and Randy Orton's to uh, to Cody Rhodes, which. Now, Cody Rhodes is in, besides Sami Zayn, those are the two big baby faces they have heated up to be able to take a world title, Gabe. And like, I, neither one of those two in the prime of my fandom back in my childhood or my 20s, they, they aren't people that I could see winning a title at all then. Because in fact, when Cody Rhodes was at WWE the first time, he was a low to mid card guy at best. So maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe Vince had cold feet with him. But, you know, I. I don't think when people say this is built up so perfectly, and I agree with you, the bloodline storyline has been built up magnificently. I mean, they've told this, they've stretched it out. It's a throwback to like the eighties and nineties where you have a storyline that lasts more than four weeks. It's great. But Cody Rhodes has really not really been a part of it for only a, a handful of months. I mean, he came in the last couple of months. I mean, two months ago, people were saying, you know, I don't know if Cody should even be Roman. It should probably be Sami Zayn. And, you know, I mean, no offense to Sami Zayn, great, great guy in the locker room. He's been a great character for WWE, but he's he's not Roman Reigns. He's not The Rock. He's not even Cody Rhodes, really, as far as just stature. So, I don't know. Those are the two thoughts I had about why it didn't happen. What do you think? I, I You know, I tend to agree with you. I, I think the crowd was really behind Cody, but we talked about this a couple podcasts ago where I said, if Cody does win, though, where does he go from there? Is it going to be a fizzle and burn type of scenario? And I can see that happening with Cody. The crowd wanted it. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can see Cody not lasting at the top of the card. I even told my brother last night when we were texting each other, I said, if Cody does win it tonight, which I expect, I thought he was going to, he's going to be a temporary, I mean, honestly, a mid-temporary guy till Roman gets it back and then they can do Rock and Roman at WrestleMania next year. So I, I think part of this was the fact that the sale was happening and then, you know, Roman is literally in the prime. There is nobody better. There's let's let's there's no big money better no. than Roman freaking reigns. That guy is, is WWE. And I would have to think that the stockholders um, or the people coming in Endeavor coming in to buy WWE, they were enticed by the fact that, Hey, the big marquee matchup at WrestleMania 40 has nothing to do with Cody Rhodes and everything to do with Roman Reigns versus The Rock. That's what I personally think. I think that they're like, okay, now's not the time for the coronation, quote unquote, of, of Cody Rhodes. But let's like, let's keep this ball rolling because he's money. Roman Reigns is drawing money. And why wouldn't you want that at the top of your card? I, you know, I was emotionally invested to a certain point where I'm like, yeah, this is Cody's time. Do it for big dust, all this other kind of stuff. But really at the, the, the long-term play has to, has to remain Roman Reigns. And you can, you know, bitch and complain all you want on the internet, but it doesn't change the fact that the undeniable truth is Roman Reigns is WWE right now. He just is. Something that I always will say about WWE is no to, to any AEW fan or anybody likes to knock Vince or WWE or whatever's happened in the history of the company. The one thing that Vince really holds true to is his champions look like champions. I mean, they look like superstars. They look like they could go either you're a a athletic wonder like a Brock Lesnar, a Kurt Angle, or you're a just a, a superstar showman, uh, you know, like a John Cena or a Hulk Hogan. 
you know, Rock and now Roman Reigns. These guys, they look like men. They look like guys that could kick your ass. They look like guys that could leave wrestling and become something else. And that's what, you know, obviously wrestling has turned to that for the last, you know, 40 years now. Who's going who's gonna to leave wrestling and become a movie star? Right. And so, you know, no offense to anybody else on that roster that we're talking about. But, you know, Cody looks... Cody is in good shape. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh outside of the tattoo on his neck. Yeah. But uh the <laughs> the fact <laughs> is the fact but it's it just I, I I that was a bad poor choice. Bad I, just, move. I don't know if it, bad but move. uh anyway, I, I just think that, you know, Sami Zayn, no matter you know, Sami Zayn is a guy who could be champion at AEW. And that says everything you need to know about AEW. That has nothing to do with Sami Zayn not being great. Has nothing to do with Sami Zayn not being uh, worthy of mentioning in that, you know, like he's a guy that could contend for it, no problem. But Sami Zayn at best would be a transitional guy and it's that's based on his, his look and his just overall like oozing of whatever you want to call it, the, the it factor. He's just he's just not that level, and very few are. I mean, there's very few people that have that level. So there's nothing. There's not a knock on anybody, but you know, I just that after the endeavor things going down, and you're hearing this coming out that as WrestleMania is going on, basically you're hearing about it. I'm like, okay, well, after Cody did not win, uh, it makes sense that okay, maybe they're like, we want the big dogs here. Yeah, like you said, we want a big matchup at 40, or we want uh, this to hit the ground running. You know, endeavor takes over. Think about it. They're gonna have. If this is what I haven't seen a, uh, an official like press release, I saw stuff that Vince was sending internally to to people that work at the company. I've seen stuff like that. But until they have a huge press conference after Mania is done now and have like, OK, here we go. Endeavor buys into a WWE and UFC together, blah, blah, blah. Vince is still on the board, yada, yada. Who would you want up on that dais or whatever they're going to have for people to talk? Roman Reigns or Cody Rhodes? Both of them would be fine in front of a mic. But Roman Reigns is the guy that has been. I mean, on cloud nine for years now. So yeah. it makes sense from that standpoint. Maybe it's just purely bad timing for Cody Rhodes. Maybe this was like, if it was another year and this wasn't happening, it would have just fallen the way we thought. One thing that offends me is that they try to compare this to Lex Luger and Lex, Lex Express. And I've, I heard Cornette say that, and I, I understand what they mean. Complete fart in church, built up, built up, built up. Oh, the back from injury, Cody. I get why people say that. And there is, uh, I, I understand the, the correlation. However, Lex Luger, different era, pushed down your throats with his own bus, his Zubaz that looked like American flag. I mean, this guy was pushed for a long, long time. Cody Rhodes, not not, not very long. I mean, I know two, three months in wrestling now is like 10 years yeah. back in the day. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do think, but I don't think, it's not the same, it's not the same thing. This is not, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what Cody Rhodes is long-term, Gabe. I don't know about you. Like, I, I think he's just what, everyone, like, like I think we've said, who is it if not Cody Rhodes or, or I guess, Sami Zayn? Who is the next guy that's going to be the next Cena, the next Brock Lesnar, the next Rock? I don't know. Is he even there right now? Is it going to be a Austin Theory that's five, ten years away? You know, I don't know. You know, so I think people were just looking at that. Like, well, if not him, then who? This is going to go on for another ten years, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, and you brought up a really good point. Like, Sami Zayn even admitted in an interview when he was chasing Roman and was getting ready to have that match, he said – they were like, do you think you can be WWE champion? I think it was Ariel Hawani or, you know, some uh, closely knit sportscaster guy with them. And he was like, yeah, I can be champion. But I, I'm not, he even said, I'm not really going to be that, the face. He knew, he knew, you know, and Cody, again, I think Cody is going to have a run with the title when Roman wants some time off. 
after this sale settles, but he's never, Cody has always missed the mark by just a little bit. In my opinion, great worker, getting better, great physique, all this other kind of stuff, but he's missing something. I don't know what that is, but you, like you said, Roman has that mega factor. It's just like he, he, he was anointed from the beginning and he's only gotten better. And that's the crazy part about, you know, the whole Roman Reigns thing. But, you know, to be honest, I think that, you know, um, by the way, they just so you know, I don't know if you saw it today, but Vince McMahon, everybody's already commented on the sale. It's official. They haven't had. Yeah, the I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the the big, you know, the the big press conference yeah. you know, where everyone's yeah. talking in front of the mics and how this is a huge day for the history of WWE. You know, like who who's going to be in that room? Because that's going to be handpicked by Vince. You know, oh, it's going to yeah. be Cena. It's going to be, you know, I would imagine, who knows, maybe it's just Vince or maybe it's Vince and Triple H or maybe it's a bunch of like the the big names that have been around for the last 10, 20 years. Who knows? But, you know, I, I think the Cody thing really, and of course, like, I think he's presented better in WWE than AEW. And I think 100%. that's uh, that's always the case. Someone's always, someone is, they're always presented better in WWE. It doesn't matter who you like. I don't, I don't care. If you hate WWE, that's fine, but AEW doesn't know how to present anybody. Nope. But not as a big deal. But Cody Rhodes lacks what I think you're talking about. In my opinion, he's always lacked some authenticity. <laughs> I feel like he's sort of playing a role. He's sort of like hmm. more so than like these other guys. Like everyone's playing a role to a degree, but I just feel like he he practices and says all the right things, but I don't feel like anything that comes out of his mouth hasn't been gone over 1,000 times. And some people I can't really say that does that. You know, John Cena, when he talks, he doesn't feel that way to me. But, yeah. you know, Cody, maybe I've just got like a bad taste in my mouth from when he was at AEW, and I thought everything that Cody and Brandy did there was like, I don't know, just atrocious. I, his his reality show was horrible, like all the stuff. And so to me, he's just sort of like uh, – it's an act more than anybody else. Maybe that's what it is, but yes, I agree. He doesn't, he just doesn't have the same aura as a Roman Reigns. So maybe that's why. Now, with all this being said, Gabe, I did think Cody was going to win. But like I said, I also didn't know that we we're going to be hearing that Vince McMahon sold out the same weekend. So we'll see what happens going forward. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the rest of WrestleMania. Um, I watched both nights. I think I missed beginning of night two last night because I had more important things to do, to be honest. Um, I love WrestleMania. It's always going to be a part of my household. I think it's, it's a lot of hours, a lot of hours though. Um, and I did watch some other indie stuff, which we will not get into because it was bad. Uh, yeah, it says great things about the future. Yeah. Blood sport was terrible. Okay. Uh, um, anyways, uh, so night one, I thought night one was the weaker of the two nights. Um, in my opinion, I, I heard a lot of people say night one was a stronger night. I don't believe that to be true. Um, Rhea Ripley highlights of the, uh, night one for me, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte, I thought was a fantastic match. Um, uh, I will only say this about Charlotte as to not get massive amounts of, of hate mail. I don't understand what's going on in her visage right now. Um, uh, it was, uh, she looks different than when she first started and it was Oh, she looks completely different than she used to look. I mean, I you know, obviously she's had a lot of surgery done, a lot of cosmetic surgery. I she looks so different than she used to. It's hard to even see a picture of her from several years ago. Yes. Not that that should that doesn't take anything away from the fact that she's a very good wrestler. No. But, no, uh, I, I was just alarmed when she came out. I was like, "Wow. Okay, that's different." Anyways, she did have a fantastic match with Rhea Ripley. I thought that was 
one of the best uh, female matches, hardest hitting female matches. There was some live rounds being thrown in that match. And I thought there was, I, I thought that was a really good match, really good highlight of, of night one. The, obviously we know the Usos were des They were more destined to lose those belts than uh, Roman Reigns was. And they did too. Oh, sure. Owens and Zane, and, you know, and Owens, I, you know, it was, it's little things sometimes that surprise me. You know, I saw Owens and Zane both came out with PWG logos on their shorts, um, which I thought that was, is odd. They allow that kind of stuff yeah. now every once in a while, which is weird. Yeah, I thought that was really strange. Um, you know, I think uh, so. I thought that match was really fun. Logan Paul versus Seth Rollins. I thought that was going to steal the show. It didn't steal the show, but it did live up to my expectation for it, which was, again, kind of a, a little bit of a spectacle, fun um, they, Logan Paul has no right to be as good as he is right now. He's, he's great, good. man. He's, I mean, I was, uh, I heard, uh, Jeremy White and I were talking about it. He thinks that he's like, he is unbelievably great for how little he's actually wrestled. I mean, it's, it is unbelievable how well Logan Paul has taken to, to wrestling. But, but as, uh, as a Steele was telling me the other day, he, you know, Logan Paul, Pat McAfee, what's the difference between them and other guys that they throw down into the performance center that are like five-star athletes from other sports. These guys were fans, you know, Logan Paul and Pat yes. McAfee, they know how the, the, the intangible stuff, the milk in the crowd, the looking at the crowd, the, the emotion, they have it. These other guys don't. And it's just that you can tell they, they love it. I was texting my buddy, Jason. And I said, I said, look at the little things Logan Paul does that people Dude, that I've been, I, I told him I've seen guys, you know, I, I work in the indie scene. I've seen guys that have been working 10 years that don't get some of the things that he gets. I mean, obviously he's got a bigger platform. He's got access to all these trainers, all this kind of stuff. But when he got his hand stomped, for example, by Seth Rollins, the way he sold his hand, I was like, people just don't do things like that, you know, unless you're a student of the game. And, sure. I, you know, I, I continually like he could be, he could be a mega star. Like uh, I, I think if you want to talk about guys, that I think can hold the mantle of a Roman reigns, Logan Paul might have that it factor. He could. I mean, I, you know, a lot of that depends on how long they have him, how, how many dates, like how in it he's going to be. This is a guy that obviously doesn't need money from WWE makes money no. from a lot of other ways. So like how much is he going to have his foot in the water there? I don't know. You know, I mean, that's, that's going to be ultimately what, what me, what is going to limit him on what he does in the wrestling business. But I think you talk about night one versus night two. Most people I, that I've talked to like night one a lot. And I think the reason why they like one over two is because of they, they got the happy finishes that they thought they were going to get and did on night one. You had Cena putting over Austin theory, uh, which, you know, the, the legend putting over a young guy, uh, yeah. And then you had uh, Logan Paul with his performance with Rollins. I, I don't think it really mattered who won that match. I think we both thought Logan Paul would probably yeah. win, but he did not. Yeah. Um, you get to see some old uh, Hall of Famers like Trish and Lee out there in a, in a, in a fun six woman match. It uh, was Rhea, Rip yeah. Rhea Ripley uh, with, uh, as you talked about with Charlotte Flair, everyone wanted her to go over and say that was another one that everyone thought was going to happen for sure. And it did. And uh, Rey Mysterio and his son. Uh, great like entrances said, great they were i like the hand oh my god it was funny yeah. oh my gosh i i i literally you know because you know me and my brother and my friend jason we do the cute like oh what how many stars would that match be you know after every match is over i gave it a higher rating because of how much i loved 
Dom coming out in the correction thing and being unhandcuffed, it made me laugh. Like, I was like, this is great. This is great. And, you know, say what you want about Dominic. I thought he was worthless a couple of years ago. He's getting heat. The kid is, it has something. He has, is he going to be Rey Mysterio? No, but he's got something. He's, uh, I mean, we, uh, you talk about it uh, as a baby face, n- nothing, you know, but nothing. as a sniveling heel, really good. I mean, it's a lot easier to be a sniveling heel than it is a baby face. Yes. You know, I always, everyone in wrestling always wants to be a heel because it's so much more fun to be the guy that can do all the bad stuff and do all that. But it's really hard to get over as a baby face. You have to be very good. And, you know, he's not his dad and you're always going to be compared to that. So why right. not take him completely opposite of what his dad was? And right. that's what they've done. And it's worked. And you knew he was going to put a lot of effort in this match because of his son. So um, I didn't know who was going to win that match either, but it didn't matter to me. And Ray ended up winning that. And like you said, the Usos dropped the titles to Owens and Zayn. So I think everyone likes night one because they got all the pomp and circumstance, the great entrances and the finishes as they want they wanted. <laughs> And then, and then night two, not so much. Actually, now, now that you mention it, there was more trash matches on night two. So yeah, I actually can see why night one was better, honestly. But the the standout matches on night two were, I think, were a slightly better. Well, no, yeah, you know what? Night one was better. <laughs> I'm I'm changing my tune. Like now that I'm thinking about it, because you know, let's get to night two. Just so, I, I'm going to start off by saying I thought the Finn Balor. Edge Hell in the Cell was the worst Hell in the Cell I've ever seen. There's not even a close second. Come on, duck Hell in a Cell. Nothing, nothing's going to be worse than that. Okay, well, okay, good point. And Boss the, Man Al Snow, dogs crapping. Yeah, there's there, there, well, there was the, the 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 and also the Bray Wyatt Seth Rollins Hell in the Cell was really bad too. But Look, there, every Hell in the Cell has sucked since Mick Foley ruined it. <laughs> That's just how it agreed. is. No other, agreed. no other Hell in the Cell. They should, they just should throw that out. It's a dumb match now. Plus, I hate having a Hell in the Cell on Mania because you don't need it at Mania. You could have a, just a singles, but maybe have some stipulation other than the one that you could build a complete pay per view around. Uh, which they do or have, but uh, you know, I just, I just didn't think that okay, was necessary. And, and let's be real, dude. Without blood, what's the point? What's I the just point? think this, they should probably get rid of Hell in the Cell. Yeah, and when Balor gets busted open and they stop the match, and I promise you, I don't, I know a, a decent amount about the inner workings of pro wrestling. They took it home early because of that, the cut. Sure, sure, and it, it, was, and it, it pretty and, bad, and it was. It was so bad. It was that was the worst match of the weekend for me because you got this. Oh, I'm gonna take you on and hell in the cell. And the demons coming back and and it was all utter utter trash. I I I hated that match with a fiery passion of a, of a thousand suns. It so was I'm trying to understand why you thought night two was better. I only because of your boy Walter getting uh, the win. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about we'll talk about that no i i told you i changed my mind night one was better night one was better okay night one was yeah because i i started thinking about and i'm like no there was some real trash on night two some almost and uh lesnar trash trash but what did you four-way tag match with the women yeah trash trash and i can't say that that uh, the worst match on night one was like the women's Match and that wasn't even 
trash. It was it was just okay. You know what I mean? It was just like that's a was, let me up match. It's a yeah. six woman tag yeah. between uh, yeah. Logan Paul and the Mysterio things. I mean, look, yeah. this is the kind of stuff as I've told you drives me nuts about Dave Meltzer. I mean, he would t- completely crap on a match like that. Mostly, if it, maybe with women, he'd put it over more. But I think uh, those are the kind of matches you need. He always drives me nuts because he doesn't ever like the whatever popcorn match, whatever you want to call it. He doesn't like the the break in between big matches that either have a big storyline or lots of action. He, he wants it all to be that, which to me is just uh, by half the night you're, you're, you're tired as if, as an audience member. Cause you're yeah. like, you know, like, like give me some time to go up and down, up and down. That, that's what I like. But the match of the night was Walter Seamus and, uh, or sorry, Gunther Seamus and Drew McIntyre. That was the match of the night for me. That match what was fantastic as far as a strict wrestling perspective goes that those guys delivered on every single all all three of them delivered on every conceivable level i loved 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 that match i gotta give it to seamus because this yeah. dude i mean drew, drew mcintyre even had time away for a while when he went to tna or whatever but uh you know Seamus has been there forever <laughs> and and he continues to do a really good job i mean he's He's always and you know, in these matches where they're just brutal matches, he's had some great matches yeah. leading into this, and this yeah. was another one. So I'll give yeah. him credit, man. Yeah, it was that that to me, and uh, I really enjoyed the Bianca Belair Oscar match. I thought they were trying to do a little too much um in that match, but I, I enjoyed that match. And then the main event, as we've discussed, I mean, what a spectacle. Still a really good match, even with all the uh, almost dusty finish uh quality to it, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of funny. Um Best part we of the night. No, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Gonna, I was going to say the best part of the night was Shane tearing. Stop. Head. Stop. Don't say that. I felt so bad. Oh, man. Shane McMahon was my first real boss in uh, my adult life. And Shane McMahon, and I've said this a million times, but he is one of the most athletic dudes I've ever seen. Sure. You would, Shane McMahon could, Shane McMahon, honestly, I mean, I know he's 50 something now, but he could, in his prime, and maybe even still, he could beat up like most of the people in the locker room. Like he's he is an extremely tough kid. And then after you sort of see the way he grew up, and probably got tons of crap living with Vince, and you know being the poster child for Silver Spoon in his mouth kid, I think he obviously took the path of well, I'm just going to get real tough and learn how to kill and choke people. So that's that's and that's what he did, and he was great at uh, being able to. I mean, he was super athletic. So when I saw him in that do a leapfrog, and then his leg just buckles and just goes down like. A spaghetti and you're like okay acl or hand so it's a quad i guess yeah uh, so he tears his quad like his father which is uh his father when he did it he was older right so See, even you're that. laughing because you know the irony there with the tearing the, of the why quad. i'm laughing why i'm laughing is is that i'd like to have seen vince and gorilla when that happened and what his response was he was either like oh my god no or he was laughing like, ha, ha, that's my boy. You know, like, I don't know, because either way would be totally normal for Vince to, to act. So I can't see what I can, like, I could see the, uh, like, the demonic laugh of Vince laughing at his son for tearing his quad in a huge moment like that, much like Vince did at Royal Rumble years ago. So I don't know. I don't know. That's what makes me laugh about it. But I felt horrible for him because uh, knowing Shane's competitive level, I mean, he had to have been so pissed and upset about that, obviously. Yeah. And everyone says that Shane Shane is renowned, like loved, like people love Shane. They're always like, "Best McMahon is Shane." 
people inside the business always say best McMahon is Shane. Like he's definitely the nicest and the most uh, down to earth of the McMahons that I had to, that I dealt with. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, but overall, I love WrestleMania. Nothing will ever take this shine off of it for me completely. I love it. it. It's it's the best of our business. It really is. And it always has been, always will be, except for the COVID era one. That one was really bad. Anyway, but um, so let's talk real quick. Before we get to this interview, let's talk real quick about the sale, Chris. Um, it was announced, uh, you know, like you said, at, you know, a lot of people were predicting that the sale would probably happen WrestleMania weekend because all the revenue coming in, you mm-hmm. know, r- really all eyes are on WWE. So why not announce the sale then? Um, Endeavor, the parent company of UFC is apparently um, in the sale will be finalized at the end of 2023. And it, it the combined assets for both companies totaled to be $21 billion dollars something like $9 billion for WWE purchase. Um, it is now no longer a family-owned company after 70 years. It hasn't been really since it went public, but that's a whole different thing. Sure. Um, so where do, what do you think about the sale? Being someone that worked for WWE, obviously we're not shocked by this. Is this going to change the model of the business? Oh, I'm sure it will. I mean, like, I think uh, there's some like... Uh sadness a little bit no and you're right the the business and everything has changed wwf wwe when they went to uh the private to public i mean that day i was with the company then and that was a huge moment obviously they got a ton of cash flow um you know after watching what has happened with vince and building this company and seeing how like a a huge businessman takes step by step throughout the stages of his life i mean I think it was, uh, you know, as it, I, I think we get lost in looking at it through a fan's eye as opposed to what Vince is and really a super competitive businessman. Um, it, they're completely different. You know, when I was a fan, as a fan, as an employee there, I was sad when we went public because we had a lot more masters to talk to now. You know, we could, you know, before when, we're, when the company's private, we could write and do stuff for USA Network and no one really had anything to say about it except – uh, whoever was going to be the liaison for USA Network and the McMahon family. Now, um, you know, after the public sale, gosh, man, they had to change a lot. Of course, the PG era happened. And, you know, just like you said, the blood, there's just a lot more. It's like it's it's not as bad as when WCW was on TBS, you know, but or TNT. But it was uh, it's getting more and more that way from a corporate structure and what they're going to have uh, limitations on them for. Now, this Endeavor sale, it's sort of like, uh, the next logical step for Vince. Obviously, I don't know what all the infighting is with the family. Of course, Shane's back. Uh, you know, I, we never got a real understanding of what happened fully with that whole sh- debacle that happened when he was fired by his father for the Royal Rumble and all that. And then you don't hear anything about Shane forever. And now he's back again. Stephanie has resigned and retired or whatever she called that. Triple H is still there. Linda, who has to obviously be mortified for the hundredth time Vince has been busted for, you know, being with other women and brought to the forefront of the media again. So, you know, it's such a weird dynamic there that this is probably the only way that it would have been good for his entire family going forward. They're all going to get paid out a lot of money. And now you have a big conglomerate corporation that's going to be handling things. Um, It's just sad, not... You know, I think I think most of the fans are sort of sad that this we li- we now live in a world where the McMahons don't own the biggest wrestling company in the world because that's all we've known in our life. But uh, you know, I it, it makes a ton of sense, and really, I, I don't know how Vince could have not had a, a bigger win in all of this. I mean, he not only gets 
I mean, an, an evaluation of $9 billion, which he was asking for six, and everybody was scoffing at that. But now I don't really know how this is going to get paid out. I don't know if it's all stock, if it's all money. Like, he's still on the board. Um, he's second in command, right? I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I have those answers for you. But yeah, yeah, he's he says he's not going to be involved in creative on a micro level. But on a macro level, big decisions. Yeah, and he's remaining on the board. Uh, Nick Khan is going to be the president. Um, still, so basically, the stru corporate structure is staying the same. Yeah, and so that I mean, he gets to keep his job, which he yeah. thought he lost a year ago or whatever yeah. less than that, and now he's back. Uh, I don't like his hair, hair job, dye job, and his uh, and his mustache. That is really weird for Vince to have a mustache now. I mean, he has always been so anti-facial hair. He looks and, like Vincent like, Price. I, it's super weird. Uh, yeah, Clark Gable. I've, I've had a lot of people that what they thought he looked like. It's just, I mean, Vince has always been really uh, into his grooming. You know, like he's been super into it. So it's weird to see him now. But I, you know, who knows what's going through his life? He knows that you know he's in his mid to high seventies now, and I don't know. He's he's obviously throwing all caution to the wind. But uh, you know, I don't know how he could have made out in this any better. I mean, I guess uh, the only answer would be, well, just leave it to his kids and his grandkids. I guess, but you know what? That. But now he's leaving him a stack of cash. He left him a ton of money, and no one's ever going to put the heart and love and the crazy desire that he had into it ever. I mean, his children, no matter what you want to say about Stephanie or Shane, they're, they're never going to have, and I saw it, they're never going to have what their dad had because they didn't have to do what their dad did. So, I mean, yeah. you know, my own dad had a company. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to be as good at running my dad's company as I as he was because it was right. his baby. And uh, right. so I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's sad from a standpoint of like, it's, it's over, you know, the McMahons aren't the, the family anymore, but they're still, they still sort of are. So, yeah. it's, you know, I, I don't know. It couldn't, it couldn't have worked better and he got his job back and he's like top of the heap again. So uh, good for them, man. And I guess Shane and him are okay now. I, I don't know. Let, let me ask you this. Cause this is what every wrestling fan wants to know content wise. First of all, I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead of this before anybody else can. Like I hate are we going to go back to the attitude era? Are we going to see boobies again? Like I'm not talking about that, but let's talk about things like the Hell in the Cell last night when the blood happened. Are we going to see a a more sports-based presentation where it's like, "Hey, whatever happens in the ring is going to happen and we're not going to lean so hard on the PG thing?" Um Gosh, I mean, that's to be determined. Um, as a fan, you would hope you would hope so, but uh, as a conglomerate corporate entity, like I, you know, I would say the outlook not good. But uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. I know, uh, I don't know the UFC. I know the UFC makes money. I know they've made they've exactly. turned that investment into a lot of money. Yes, I will say as a as a guy that's not a UFC lover, uh, UFC never interests me ever. Um, you know, I know that they have their fan base and uh, same could be said for wrestling people and non-wrestling people. But like the, the problem I had for. I always thought the UFC should have taken more uh, from the WWE and their presentation as far as, you know, sort of more like a little bit more fancy trash talking or, you know, something that would make me understand a personality from another. And I thought I thought Vince coming into this situation where, you know. I guess it's legitimate fighting. I, I, I'm sure there's always questions about boxing and UFC sure. and everything about finishes, sure. but um, 
you know, when you when you have Vince in there, is are they going to sort of take a little bit more of a of a stance at the UFC where, you know, I I don't know. I'm just saying I think it would help their business if I if and me as a person uh, that's mainstream that doesn't really know anyone from this era of UFC because they all look the same to me and no one really stands out. Maybe you should have some people stand out a little bit more because I remember the days of the you know I'm going way back. Tank Abbott, Chuck Liddell, mm-hmm. the yep. Sh- Shamrock Severn. These are people I knew because they had unique looks, unique things. They 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 talked. I knew stuff. I mean, I had friends. This is going to be interesting because I have friends that love UFC, hate WWE, and maybe they'll be completely separate and you'll never see any kind of cross and it's just they're just under the same parent company whatever but i had people that hated when brock lesnar won the ufc heavyweight championship because then he started cutting promos after the match where he's gonna go screw his wife and drink coors light and all this stuff and he hated that promo because he he thought it made it look like pro wrestling and it like took away some legitimacy of the sport and i was just like no it actually i look at it completely different i i'm interested in it now you know i'm i i don't care about uh your same dudes that are tatted up shaved heads that don't talk and they just choke each other out in two minutes i'd rather have a little bit more uh uh pizzazz to it maybe they'll add that maybe they won't but it is a sad day uh from a standpoint of a fan because i i do think things are going to change i don't think it's it's going to be even more corporate now isn't it gabe i mean is it really going to go i don't think you're going to see anything uh ecw to wwe attitude era level anytime soon no i think they probably will because it's all about sponsorships, right? They'll probably dial back on the mitigating, like, again, Finn Balor getting busted. They're probably going to let that slide. Because, again, they're not gigging themselves. They're not going after this, like, AEW, John Moxley bleeds when he sneezes kind of routine. But they're, you know, I can see them tailoring back on that. But, you know, it's they had a Cinnamon Toast Crunch sponsorship that probably brought them a ton of money. I mean, and again, sure. there are sponsors that would jump on if they were more progressive, quote unquote, with violence and sexuality that they could get on board. But it, that's not going to bring as much money. Uh, I, I mean, I remember you telling me something famous, uh, famously in one of our private conversations, actually, now that we're talking about it, when I was running Journey Pro and I said, you know, I want to cater to the over 18 crowd, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, but kids, kids bring parents, they bring money. And there's oh, a lot, yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth in like, if you let the kids in the door, you got a, maybe a, a more potential for merch money and you got more potential for them to bring their friends, you know? So there is an angle there that I think like WWE doesn't want to let go of. That is a weird, that, that's a, but that has changed since I said that to you from the first time, because I, when I was promoting and when WWE was big in my childhood, obviously it was family oriented. Right. Um, it was obviously K-Pabe was still around. There was stuff that still made it uh, more of a, an, a family event. Then it became the ECW crowd, which I was proudly an ECW lover, but you know, I was also in my low 20 or late teens or early twenties. And um, I wasn't married, didn't have kids or anything like that. So, um, you know, the only people at those shows were, I mean, there was, you know, ECW never had a huge house. Okay. They right. just had a bunch of like rabid fans. And, and so the Indies now are interesting because like you said, but yes, if you want more butts and seats, you need to have kids with families there because you get kids, the, the family, the dad and mom will come and then they'll, they might like it too, but they'll always bring the kids. And I had a lot of that when I was promoting, but now, you know, yourself, uh, Strider, Conrad Thompson, you know, what, what they can find out is, uh, well, you know, but the, the 21 year olds that went to ECW are now existing now and they're willing to spend $300 per show, even though there's like 
a fifth of what used to be there, but they're going to spend way more money than even a parents that are like, you know, penny pinching with their five kids at the show. So I don't, you know, I, it's depending on what, you know, demographic you're going towards, but um, I've always been a big fan and I've always thought that WWE should go back to um, not PG, but like, you know, like uh, I, I always thought they should go back to eighties, eighties style for a while and then build back up because like at that, when I was saying that, that was at the point where everyone was about to kill themselves and, you know, ladder matches and TLC matches and everybody's about broken in half and uh, you know, take the moves back a little bit and make more storylines. But as we've said in today's uh, culture, it's not the easiest to have storylines that aren't offensive to people straight out the gate. So it's a hard call. If I was Vince, I would have sold this no problem from the standpoint of like, what can we do without offending anybody? Uh, It's really hard going forward. It's always the power. You got the family stuff with the bloodline or you got the power where the evil dictator is trying to hold people down. That's an easy go-to of storyline in wrestling. But these other wrestling storylines that we all grew up on, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, they're all gone. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so good luck. But that's why everybody's doing moves now. That's why it's become a, you know, Cirque du Soleil to a degree. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. All right, Chris. Well, we filibustered enough. Let's go ahead and uh, tell them about the interview we got going on this week. And, uh, yeah, we'll, let, let's get to it. Yeah, well, it's it's not as long of an interview this week because I caught our good friend Craig Kieseman, uh, and he is also known on the indie scene as Niles Planquet, the wine connoisseur. Uh, he is a good friend of ours, and he trained under Central States legend uh, Sonny Myers. Now, Sonny Myers is known by a lot of people around here. He was an actual uh, sheriff up in Buchanan County, I believe, and uh, he had a, he was a huge he's a huge celebrity in the northern part of Kansas City after his wrestling days. And and you should see, you know, even in my documentary, there's some footage of Sonny Myers as a referee. And I asked Craig about this, like how we used to count. He would not get down on all fours to count. He would sort of count by lifting his foot up and and hitting it against the ground like a horse uh instead to three uh but Sonny Myers is a he was a multi-time champion and uh everyone that knew Sonny loved Sonny Myers I never got to meet him because he passed away before I was really in the area to be able to do any kind of interviews with him or anything but uh Craig got to learn under him and you'll see in this interview Craig wasn't a huge wrestling historian before he started training with Sonny Myers uh he he didn't really know the significance of him but obviously as years have gone by his uh love and admiration for his trainer has gone through the roof so and you'll hear this that in this interview so it was great to catch up with craig and talk about his beginnings and talk about central states legend sonny myers all right let's get to that interview right now with our buddy craig keesman talking about sonny myers we'll see you on the other side it's the worst territory Joining me now, a good friend of mine, a guy I owe a lot to in life, but a guy that I met um, like 15 years ago or so, and he's been a professional wrestler around the Midwest for a very long time, also a wine connoisseur as well, both in and out of the ring. Craig Kiesman. Craig, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Craig, this podcast is called The Worst Territory in the World, and it's called that because, as you know, a lot of people outside of the Midwest think that the Central States was a little bit of a doormat. And uh, <laughs> is, that, is that the way you took it? Do, do you find that people still feel that way, or maybe at least just in the past? Um, I feel from just talking to you know the people who used to work the territories, the ones that are still around that I've had the privilege to meet, that, yeah, uh, the general consensus was 
uh, unless you were a top dog here in the area like Harley uh, or somebody, then it was not the best place to be. <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, of course, you've been wrestling in the Midwest for, I don't know, decades now, I think I can say. But uh, you also were trained by one of the biggest names in the Central States Territory of all time, and his name was Sonny Myers. And uh, I've heard you talk, and you, you mentioned Sonny for as long as I've known you. But I did want to get your perspective because Sonny passed away in 2007, and um, so I never got to meet him. I didn't get to interview him when I did the documentary in the Central States. I barely missed out on him. But uh, what, what are your initial thoughts? And tell me how you got involved with Sonny Myers in the Midwest. Well, um, I was introduced through Sonny through my martial arts instructor, John Coyle. I had been doing martial arts since I was 11, and uh, during the breaks of uh, class, my brother and my friends, we would do you know WWF stuff. So I was a big wrestling fan. We would do suplexes on the mats and elbow drops. There was this, it was set up in an old gymnasium. We'd do elbow drops off a of stage and stuff, and it would make my instructor nervous, I think, more than angry. Um, eventually, as we got older... Our, you know, as as wrestling fans tend to do, our our move set got a little bit more intense. <laughs> yeah, but we uh, we started doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, he, I was seventeen, and he said, "You know, I'm going to introduce you to a guy I know here in St. Joe. They actually trains people to wrestle at the time. Um, his son was was trying to break into the business, so I met Sonny through him. I gave him a phone call. Didn't know what to expect." I showed up at this place in St. Joe called the Body Zone. It was a gym. I uh, had a ring set up in a back room. I think they did boxing in it too, but it was a wrestling ring. And uh, had my first, you know, go at wrestling, which was very intense, but I loved it. I fell in love with it right away, and um, continued to uh, show up to training two to three times a week, three or four hours a day. Um, got to know, start to know Sonny a little bit more. He was definitely um, a gruff old man at that point. He might have been his whole life. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he definitely had a heart, and he loved what he did. He loved the business for sure. Uh, and he was, you know, he's just one of those generations. He wrestled in, you know, I think he broke in in the 1940s or 50s. So he's like one of the pioneers of modern, you know, TV wrestling and whatnot. And, um, he uh, definitely had a love for this business that was a little bit more, I'd say, kind of pure and unadulterated that a lot of people have today where it's kind of you can kind of go both ways on how you feel about entertainment and sports. He was a sport-minded guy. He loved this business as a competition, as a sport, yeah. as, a, as a true, you know, a little bit more of a shoot style than it, than it was. Well, we will get back to we'll get to his career in a little bit, but I want, let's keep with uh, your meeting Sonny Myers. So he was born in 1924. He was known as Harold Myers, but went by the nickname Sonny. He was from Savannah, Missouri, which is up north of St. Joe, and you're you're from that part of the woods as well. Um, it seems like the guys that obviously did well here, Geigel was in, from Iowa, Harley was from northern Missouri as well, uh, Sonny Myers, they were uh, what you expect of a Midwesterner in that time. So when you go in there and you see 
Sonny Myers, and you said he was sort of a gruff guy. Did he? He was known in his later years to be one of the, uh, I think, nicely put, like one of the slower referees around, uh, because right. he had had a couple. Like he's had so many. Yeah, I'm assuming he had a couple new knees and stuff like that. But what? How was he to? Did he actually physically get in with you? I mean, was he was he one of these guys that was super hard on new guys? Like how was he as a trainer? Uh, well, as a trainer, he was he was intense. Um, so he he would get in the ring. He he had just had hip or knee surgery, and it, it, it's been you know that was in 1999. So it's been over 20 years ago. Yeah. So I don't remember, and I was I was a strapping lad that was just in it for the moment, and then of course now I've been dropped on my head a lot, so I don't remember a lot of those details <laughs> as clearly. But um, he was definitely a hands-on person he would get up in the ring and show us the holds and he would wrench on them he would like that was one thing that really shocked me about going into this business was thinking that i had an idea of what it was and then getting it completely reversed uh the first three months of our training was literally shoot wrestling it was uh escape drills and amateur takedowns and you know we didn't even do really body slams and stuff until later on until he quote unquote smartness up and there was a uh, 20 about 20 some people in my class because he did it in classes and by the end of those three months there was two of us left wow and that's when he smartness up and it's like now we're going to start doing a little bit of what wrestling is what, what this wrestling is and I was really relieved because I was also very small back then. I was about 150, 60 pounds, hmm. and uh, I was beat up. I had Matt Burns all over me. I was bruised all the time, and I just had the, the young kid feeling factor, But um, and I was dumb, so I just <laughs> kept coming back. But he was definitely gruff. I mean, he was the guy that would tell you, hey, it's a shit street again. He wouldn't sugarcoat a thing. He would just say, this is awful. That was terrible. Go do it again. And do it again. And if he did it right, he'd be like, "That's great." Now do it again to make sure it wasn't a mistake or an accident. You know, and that's just how he was. He was grill, and he would he would drive us. We weren't allowed to drink water. We weren't allowed to do any of that. It was like truly what you would think is a the TV old school coach from back in that day. That's who he was. Oh man, I, that 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 remind you know that makes me understand exactly why you are the way you are and how you think about the business. Because if you're brought up that way, which today, by the way, they'd get in trouble <laughs> the way that you can't do that anymore. Which yeah. is uh, in some ways, I understand that you know some people took it a little too far. But I mean, nowadays it's completely the other way. So you don't get that training where you know nowadays people that have schools and correct me if you disagree with this but uh, they they do it to make money uh not to get rid of everyone except two people that are really good at it right right they um there's no more really trying to run anybody out of the business because you know wrestling is for for everyone that's the that's (laughs) That's, the thing that's what they say i don't agree with that but that's what they say yeah i I wholeheartedly don't agree with it and that you know i've been in the ring with a lot of people that don't need to be in the business but um or work with people in the industry that don't need to be in the industry but Um, you know, it was just, it was more protected back then. Um, it was, I, and I understand the mentality. That's where a lot of those guys made their money. So, you know, um, Harley, for instance, Sonny, those guys made a living off of wrestling, which is something that very few people can honestly do unless they're signed under a contract. Those guys necessarily signed under a lot of contracts. They were contracted to different places, but they didn't have, like, they weren't an exclusive to 
you know, vents or anything back then because there wasn't that back mm-hmm. then. And you so it was just it, it was just a different mindset for wrestling back then. And, and it, again, yeah, it's it's definitely affected how I view the business and how I continue to try and treat the business. Although I have to adapt because, like you said, you can't get away with the same, same stuff that they used to do back then. So you're such a student of the game and you enjoy the vintage stuff of, of wrestling and the old school mentality of stuff. Did you? Did, so you had absolutely no idea who Sonny Myers was when you got involved, right? Correct. Okay, Correct. so you weren't like a you weren't like a born and bred I love Central States wrestling fan growing up as a child. No, uh, in fact, the only thing I knew of wrestling up until my junior high area was WWF. We lived in a rural area. We had um, we had a big giant satellite dish. Big, big satellites that, that you could dial in and get all the pay-per-views and stuff back in the 80s, yes. Yeah, sometimes get them. Like if the reception was good, if there was a classic <laughs> guy, we had to watch the rewrite. You know, but we didn't have like, you know, the internet. I didn't have the internet back when I was a kid. So there wasn't the dirt sheets or anything like that. But, I mean, you had to read the magazines and I never read the magazines. I didn't. Sure. You know, my magazines were Nintendo Power and comic books and stuff back when I was a kid. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I got on. I remember getting on the uh, school bus one day, and uh, my friend that we collected comic book cards, the trading cards, and he had his book. So he brought his collection in, and he turned to the back, and there was these wrestling cards. And I'm like, "Well, who's that?" He's like, "Well, that's Sting." And I said, "Who's Sting?" And I was probably 14, 15. I had no idea who Sting was because <laughs> uh, I've never seen it. I've never, sure. I've never seen WCW or any of that. So it wasn't until after. Um, I started training and really it was a few years after I started training that I, I really started kind of looking back at the history because that when I first started I was just so focused on learning what wrestling how to do wrestling sure sure did you uh being up in the san joe area um of course i always love to talk about that area not not only because of Sonny, but also gus Karras was around there and also you had lord littlebrook and his sons uh wrestling as sort of what the the midget wrestling capital of the world was st joe for a while did you ever meet any of those guys have any interaction with them oh yeah so um shortly after i started training with Sonny, we were at the body zone um, something happened and the gym closed down or some other promoter did something and made the guy mad. So they weren't allowed to have wrestling anymore. <laughs> you know how that works. That's a, that's a normal tale. That's a normal tale. It was very predominant here in the Midwest. Um, but so we went to, uh, Lord Littlebrook's house. He had a garage and he had his ring set up. And so I met Brooke and then, um, Cato and Bobby and then you know everyone else on the, uh, that was there, little Tokyo. Uh, and we would go there, you know, two or three times a week. And it was always a running joke is that, uh, if Brooke would, you know, if he would, uh, solicitate one of you and like give you a story, you know, you were the one that had to run down to the gas station and buy the 24 pack of beer for him. So he would, <laughs> he would get, he would see who would listen to the story. And then he would, he would tell a great story. But then after the story, he'd be like, here's it, here's 10, 15 bucks, go get me a, a Twelve pack of beer, or whatever. And that so. was your that was your duty after you heard a, such a good story. Oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah. So a lot of times, you know, it was rather if you wanted to sit and listen to a story, or if you wanted to get to training, because you know, Sonny would always criticize us for going and getting a beer because he didn't need the beer, <laughs> according to Sonny. And then we would miss the first part of the training, so our training would be even worse because he'd make us do double drills if you missed warm ups or whatever. So, <laughs> but. It, 
it was just the, it was a good that was the relationship they had too and sometimes Sonny would talk to him and it was it was good to get them around the table and and talking and telling old stories and whatnot just the different perspectives because you know Sonny was the the com- competitive sports person and Brooke was more the entertainment because he's the midget sure. so he had he was more into that you know the more I guess more of a modern mindset on wrestling but he still had the old school philosophy so it was it's good to hear him talk back and forth. Yeah, I mean, did, so did they sort of tag team in a way? I guess they were good friends enough to obviously use his ring at his house. So, I mean, uh, did they – that would be an interesting combination. You had a super old-school known shoot fighter guy going on with a midget that had been on WrestleMania three, and, you know, it obviously been a special traction feature in all these cards. So having those two together would give you sort of a, a nice, well-rounded education, really. Yeah, um, it was cool. Uh, it was just different – you know, looking back at it now, I wish I could go back in time and listen to it again with the, the mind that I have now versus being just a kid that's absorbing everything, you know? Sure. Um, but, yeah, it's it was definitely cool to hear the different stuff because, you know, Sonny did big things, but so did Brooke. And he, arguably, Brooke did bigger things than Sonny did because he went out farther than the Midwest. Sure. Which is, again, uh, part of the reason why the Midwest was one of the worst territories. They were so isolated from everywhere else. Huge territory, long drives, longer than a lot of them anyway, not as long as some. But, uh, yeah, it was a wide-open country and not a lot of population, you know. So that's why that's why they didn't make as much money, and that's why people like Cornette don't don't necessarily love uh, the Central States territory. But what did Sonny talk about? Uh, what did he give you information-wise as, as a worker? Like, did he give you a lot of, like, how he got in the business and his attitudes? And I, I was always curious about his relationship with the Geigles and the Harley races at the time. Um, you know, he, uh, he was broken with Gus Karras. Is who trained him, and sure. he called him Greek. You know that Greek guy, Gus <laughs> Karras, trained him. And you know, like back then, it's interesting because you know now we have in wrestling we have a modern psychology. We kind of have the right way to do a lot of the same things, and things are kind of more mechanical on how they're taught. So, you know, you everyone does a hip toss very similar. Everyone does the psychology is kind of similar. Sure. But Sonny was part of the era where it was more pioneering that. So they were developing that as they worked. They were trying to figure out what worked for psychology, how to make this stuff work, how to make this go, and how to make it convincing. I mean, they would work three-hour broadways uh, a lot of time. It would be three matches on a card, and they would work a three-hour broadway. And wow. He'd talk about working a headlock for three hours, and the people were just they would eat it up and then you see clips of it and you see that like you see wow people really did eat it up because it was just a different era and a different atmosphere you know sure sure um philosophy wise you know he would talk about gus being a good promoter um he never talked to him talked about his training being good or bad so i don't know what that was at. i know i think a lot of that training back then was you just got in and did it sure trial by fire basically Uh uh-huh as far as his relationship with like Geigel or Harley um, you know I think regardless whether they liked each other or not and I have a suspicion that most of the people involved in any territory that worked closely with each other that were top draws probably to a core did not care for each other (laughs) back then because they were that you were you 
we were competing with Super each other. Super competitive, man. That's I mean, you see that you see it even uh, even today at the highest levels. I mean, people that you know, uh, maybe not as much now, but you saw it even as you know the Attitude Era when you have the Sean Brett type people. Those rivalries were born out of being super competitive, right? And I think it was even more so back then because you know the that was just the draw, that was the money that they made, and but I think on the flip side of that too is that they all had a great respect for each other, and even more so for the the, the business that the, you know they for the wrestling business, and so whether they got their way or not, if it was best for business, they were able to suck up their pride enough to do it most of the time. Why did Sonny never leave the Midwest? You mentioned that. And a lot of guys, that was normal. You know, some of these guys that could have been big stars, like a Mike George, didn't necessarily want to go, you know, you know, hours away, had children, and they wanted to be more of a family guy. What was Sonny's reason? Well, I think the big thing for Sonny was, because he did, he did a, a lot of um, stuff in Texas, and he worked in Minnesota, um, Ed Sharkey, was telling me stories about him just a few months ago when I wrestled on a, a show up in Michigan. Yeah. Or Minnesota, I'm sorry. Um, I think the big thing was is he settled here, he got married, he had kids, and he was successful here. He could be here and be successful with the business. So he didn't have to go out everywhere else and travel like, you know, modern wrestling or guys even in the late 80s and 90s had to do is they had to just go from territory they had to work those territories you know and and get out and get their name known back then there wasn't as much outreach with wrestling so like he wrestled in chicago sonny was a big part of the chicago wrestling scene for a long time they would film it and then it would be syndicated national you know on national tv so they'd Mm -hmm. take that chicago and they would play it everywhere and that's just you know now it's local everything's every promotion that's local now runs locally um, or on, you know, there's so much of it out there streaming that it's, you can't even call it national. Sure. It is, but it's, you know, it's isolated because no one's just going to set and, hey, let's see what uh, Midwest wrestling looks like today. <laughs> no, I don't see that very often. But uh, what about, uh, he, did he talk about the Central States in general? Like, he was a 14-time Central States champion, a NWA Missouri champ. Like you said, he held some titles in Texas, and I'm not meaning to say he never traveled out of Kansas City, but what I mean is, you know, he wasn't he wasn't going all in, and I'm going to go work everywhere I possibly can to become the top of the mountain, and I think you hit on it. A lot of those guys back then, see, we lose perspective now because now everyone has to travel around to keep themselves busy, but back in the day, you could just feast on just your one territory, and it was okay. I, I understand that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's probably the biggest part of it. Like, I think if the Sonny was around today in the prime of his life, he would be traveling everywhere. Because it's just what you have to do. Sure. If you really want to make it in something big. So did he talk about Central States? Did he talk about working here? Did he say he enjoyed it? Did he say he wished he could have done more? Like, what what, it, what were his overall thoughts? And, and, and what did he talk about as a, being a referee at the end of his career? Um, he loved the central states. He loved this area. Um, he, you know, obviously he would, he would talk like wrestlers do. He talk about people in their central states. He talk about people that he liked, people he didn't like, or or times he didn't like them. I think it, again, at the end of the day, they all respected each other. So, um, but there definitely were times when certain people he didn't care for, and vice versa. I'm sure. Um, 
he liked how the Midwest was run when Gus ran it. He wasn't as a big of a fan when, um, uh, doggone it. Geigel. <laughs> Geigel, yes. When Geigel took over and then Harley was helping Geigel run sure. that part, he wasn't a big fan of that. And I, and I think that's the general consensus with a lot of the old time workers that worked here is once that kind of happened, it became very political and very centered on just the select few. Um, he understood it, but he, you know, he was always griping about something. He was an old man. He's a grumpy old man. So he liked to, he liked to gripe about all that stuff. But from general, he loved working the Midwest area. And, and I mean, he probably worked it at the time when it was the hottest it's probably ever been, probably ever will be. Oh, sure. You know, in fact, when I was doing research on him, they talked about, because I got to interview uh, Richard Brown, who was the son of Orville Brown. And if you go all the way back to the 40s, Orville Brown was a champion for the NWA, and he lost the title to Sonny Myers. But right. right after that, they sort of changed positions, and they redid the NWA, and Orville Brown was still the quote-unquote champion at the time, sort of wiping Myers out of the record book, which I think he went into uh, lawsuits about that, and uh, you know there was some uh, antitrust things going on that he's talked about. I guess he won some money from that, but uh, that was he on paper, he should have been an NWA champion. Yeah, in fact, I think, um, and I, again, I haven't done my research. I think he was actually supposed to be credited as the first NWA. I think it was what NWWA or something back then, and then yeah, they changed. It, it went from like November of '47. They changed the belt, and in early '48, the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, was formed. New sort of name, same letters, and like it, it became, you know, it was back to Orville Brown as if nothing had happened. Now, back then, it was a lot easier to do that because you don't have the internet and everything else. Uh, so you could just sort of you know sweep this stuff under the rug, a, a, a short title reign for Sonny. But he, either way, he was looked at and regarded high enough to become an NWA champion back in the 40s right. when it was a right. huge yeah. deal. Um, um, you know, and I've heard several things on that. Now, his lawsuit with the NWA, and again, I don't know a lot of the details on but what I do know is about contractual obligations and pay. Mm-hmm. So it was... That's where he was having things saying that uh, I, I believe that he was. He was suing a promoter out of Des Moines named Pinky George. And right. uh, I think Pinky, had uh, he made him mad or something. He said he'd never work again. And I believe that caused uh, Sonny to sue him for basically doing like a antitrust, you know, sort of having a monopoly in the area. And right. it said he sued for $600,000, but he, and he took over almost a hundred grand from him, but he had to sign like a, basically a version of an NDA after that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to look at how that stuff worked before everybody knew or knew everything with a camera on their phone and could read everything, uh, you know, instantaneously. But I, I, I remind me if I'm right, Craig, wasn't he, I, I've seen videos of Sonny as a referee standing the entire time and counting with his foot. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He would do that. So <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and you know, they. I've heard people, multiple people, talk to uh, talk about that. There was a reason why they would, like the NWA people, would continue to book him and promoters would continue to book him because they wanted their guys to slow down. <laughs> so, like, it was forcing their young talent to. He was inadvertently teaching them how to slow down by just being slow himself. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, but if you watch some of the other matches, like the the Funk and Harley title match, you know he's he's moving okay as a ref. He is still slow counting, but the, everything was a little bit slower back then too. But yeah, uh, on other matches, he just didn't care. 
he didn't care at all. He would he would stand in the corner and put his fingers up one, two. You know, like you know, you can tell if your shoulders down or not from standing, I guess. So. <laughs> That's, that was just hilarious. I've seen video of him doing that in the, in the late '80s when he was roughing for Central States. I think there's video on the documentary where he's standing. And he's just he's just doing the old Mister Ed kick. You know, it's yeah, just funny, you know, man. I, and it, just knowing Sonny, I would bet that most of the time he did that is because he was like, "Well, that was the shit." I mean, that's <laughs> not even going to bother getting down for that. Uh, I wish there were more people like that now. Oh, I know. Me too. Me um, too. Uh, I know you have uh, you have a successful wine company to deal with here in a minute, but a couple more questions. I, let me ask you about when he left wrestling and obviously still ref, but then he became a a sheriff or at least a deputy in Buchanan County in the 70s, which reminds me of when Dr. D. David Schultz became a bounty hunter. It seems like a perfect thing for a wrestler to go do that, which a lot of the boys went and were security at the Woodlands at their dog and racetrack. I guess Sonny never got roped into that. Geigel, maybe maybe that was a real sign that he wasn't friends with Geigel, that he wasn't down there working with the rest of the guys. But uh, he became, he was a at least a deputy up there. Did, did he talk about that at all? Oh, yeah, he was a sheriff, and he's still well-known as being the sheriff of you know, Buchanan County, uh, St. Joe, he was, uh, he was, and I've heard multiple stories. So he was a guy that when you got arrested and they put you in jail, he left the door open. Uh, he never locked them in. He's like, if you guys want to think you can get by, come on by. And he would rough up people. And, you know, like when I met him, he was working security at, or a door greeter, not security, a door greeter at Walmart. Walmart. Wow. And he got let go because he tackled a shoplifter. Wow. Uh, and you try to stop somebody. Oh well, you couldn't. You know, you couldn't back then. You know that you can't do it now. But yeah, oh, uh, he would. He put him down and was making the guy squeal. I guess have him in a hammerlock or some sort of hold. I wasn't there, but that's oh, my the gosh. story. I heard. So they had to let him go. But yeah, he was <laughs> just. You know, if you, ever, if you ever saw him, his ears were big old elephant ears. Oh, They're all, all fired out and out, and he was just. Uh, he was a big guy. He was a, a big guy even at, you know, 70, in his late 70s. So, so he, di- he died at the age of 83 in 2007. Huh? I'm assuming he went to his funeral. And, like, I, I don't exactly know. It said he followed, he had a two-month illness. I don't know exactly how he passed away. But 83 is a pretty good life for a professional wrestler. What do you remember about the end of his life? Um, the end of his life was, you know, he was basically training. Um, he would come with us to shows. We were there was a promoter up here named Jake Hook that was running shows uh, for All Star Wrestling. It was Sonny Myers All Star Wrestling, and Sonny would go and he'd do referee, or he'd sit at the desk, or the or the, the commentator table, or the ringside table, you know, just as a face. But we'd run St. Joe and Atchison, Kansas City, Kansas. Um, he was, uh, you know, he was Sonny till the very end, um, I believe. What it was, I think he got a staph infection. That's oh, yeah. what I mean. He had knee surgery, another knee surgery, and he was doing good, and then he got a staph infection, and then that, you know, that's what ultimately did him in. He just couldn't kick it. Yeah. But um, he, uh, up until the very end, I remember going and seeing him in the hospital several times before he passed. Um, you know, he was still signing. He was watching whatever TV show and coming in. It wasn't just wrestling that he, he shit on. He shit on everything. <laughs> Like every every modern TV show, he would say, "Well, look at that," or something like that. It was it was good. It was, I love that perspective. I wish there was more people that still had that kind of perspective. Oh man! So what's your what's your lasting legacy of, of Sonny Myers as a not only just a teacher but a guy here in the Midwest? Oh, I think uh, Sonny was 
one of a kind for sure. Um, uh, he was definitely a carny. He, he did own a carnival at one point. Uh, they had a traveling carnival that he, when he did a short stint where he quit wrestling or stopped doing wrestling, he bought a carnival, rides and everything. He would travel from small town to small town and set up carnivals. And um, he, uh, at one point, when he was, one of the funny stories of him being the sheriff was that the, the state or the city, I can't remember which one, bought a whole bunch of trees to plant like in the medians and stuff for the highways. And uh, they went missing, like hundreds and hundreds of trees. Well, the last part of his life, he uh, he opens a tree farm. So wow, you know, shocking! Buys, yeah, shocking, right? So because uh, he, he had property and he had a farm and would grow vegetables and bring in vegetables and things all the time for us and stuff. Oh. He was definitely uh, a one of a kind guy for sure. I'm assuming the love that people had for Sonny Myers make made them not hunt him down for being a tree thief. I, I can only assume. Correct. Well, and I think it's one of those things that was just so bold and brass that they probably <laughs> thought that that was great. You know, <laughs> they're probably like, "Well, this city screws us enough. At least let someone stick it back to them that can get away with it." Oh, you my, know? my goodness, man, he sounds like quite a character. I wish I would have been able to meet him before he passed. But um, yeah, I knew that you have. You always talk such so highly about him and say so many great things about him that I knew you'd be a good person to come on and talk to about. So thanks for joining me today, Craig Kieseman, who know, now known as Niles Planquet out on the wrestling circuit all around America. Uh, are you 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 obviously try to emulate him every time you go out? Oh yeah, um, I mean I do a lot of things. Like I'll make sure I throw an atomic drop in. That was his finish. You know, shocking kids listening that are in wrestling today. That was his finish at one point. <laughs> it's an atomic drop, not just a setup. But I try and throw that in there. He used the sleeper. He kind of got famous here in St. Joe in the Central States for using the sleeper hold. Um, so I I will throw that in every once in a while. Sure. But definitely. Um, you know, he was a big guy on like doing backdrops and things like that, which are something i like to use a lot in my matches so yeah for some reason a lot of guys don't like taking those really yeah a lot of guys need to get better training (laughs) (laughs) well if only they had only had sunny myers so if they only had sunny myers that's right well thank you very much for joining me craig i appreciate it i'll see you soon buddy all right thanks a lot thanks for having me it's the worst territory all right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world, Chris. That was a great interview with Craig Keesman. Now, we could do a whole hour just with Craig talking about his experience in the Central States Territory, but I some of my first stories from people around this area was actually from Craig about Sonny. So that was really great to hear uh, an interview more in depth about Sonny Myers. Yeah, no, he, he, uh, he could talk about Sonny all day. And like I said, he doesn't necessarily have the – historical perspective as much as he had just his like personal dealings with him and the stories he told about training with Lord Littlebrook and having to use their ring with the midgets up there was like, he's had some great, I mean, you're talking about a kid uh, from, you know, rural Missouri deciding to get involved. He had martial arts background, deciding to get into wrestling, you know, meet Sonny Myers, who he has no idea who he is at the time, really, and then gets to train with Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo and the likes. I mean, it would have been uh, quite the quite the introduction to pro wrestling. And uh, but of course, Craig Huseman is a great friend of ours. And yes, I'd like to have him on just to talk about, obviously, the NWL, because he still uses his gimmick from the Kansas City days NWL, Niles Planquet, which has gotten him the most, I think, coverage ever in his in his wrestling career. 
Yeah, Niles one of the smartest guys for the business that I've ever met. Um, oh yeah, as far as wrestling knowledge and you know he always had a deep appreciation for what was going on in the NWL. And honestly, my first friend that was a wrestler was Craig actually me and him got along on multiple levels. So that was really awesome. All right, Chris. Well, we're going to wrap this up as you know, you've got things to get to. I got things to get to, but we love to do a little segment at the end here. So Goff, I'm going to let you pick the left hand or the right hand. That's all you get this week. Uh, and each one. Let's is gonna... go. <laughs> I, I should go right, but I'm going to go left. All right. All right. So the left hand actually is the easiest one, which is good. Um, Chris top to bottom. We talked about WrestleMania, top to bottom. Sure. What is your least liked or most hated WrestleMania? And oh, why? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I can only tell you, like, WrestleMania is to me, and <laughs> this is really bad. WrestleMania is to me only a matter through, like, uh, the mid-20s. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, it's really, I mean, I, yeah, my WrestleMania, yeah, yeah. loving WrestleMania days probably ended sometime around 2009. So that was like 26, I believe. I did go to that one. It was in, I believe that was one in Arizona where it was Sean Taker two. Mm. Uh, but uh, but anyway, my worst, the, the worst WrestleMania, I think through that time. God, there's several. Uh, Eleven and thirteen are both pretty bad. Now thirteen has a great match. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the card, not so much. Yep. Um, and eleven was not great either um that was the lawrence taylor bam bam then diesel sean sort of co-main events um and i'm a big sean fan but uh that was just sort of a weak time in the company you know 10 uh has grown on me through the years but yes. i used to not like 10 very much um but i got to sort of enjoy that more because that was sort of randy macho savage like it was like his last real yeah. big match on a mess on a mania card um I, I would probably if gun to my head, I'd probably say the one I've watched the least would be thirteen. Wow, I was gonna go with nine. See, I like the spectacle of nine. Really? Oh, that, I like the that outside of terrible. It, it was, and I did not like the finish with Hogan and no. going oh. and all that. Giant oh. Gonzalez Taker. I mean, there was some garbage on that show. I think I like, I just like, I give that more extra credit than I should just because it was outdoors at Caesars Palace, which would never happen again, like in that way. But uh, I just, you know, having Bobby Heenan riding yeah. out backwards <laughs> on that, you know, that kind of stuff was great. I mean, I, yeah. there was, they were all dressed in togas. Like it was just the gimmickry of it was so off the charts, like sort of like corny, stupid, oh. that it was fun. But yeah, that was the doinks. And uh -huh. uh, that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I think that was Shawn Michaels taking on, was it Tito, my, El Matador? It was, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was because that was when he had the mirror in the ring with Sherry. Yes, um, yes. But uh, And that was Narcissist, his first WrestleMania. Yep, yep. <laughs> I just... Narcissist! Yeah, it was, uh, they, he always hit the wrong syllable sometimes on that, Vince did. But, uh, you know, one uh, two is... Two is like very. I love two just from the standpoint of I watched the crap out of that as a kid. But two overall not great. <laughs> two is yeah, not great. Yeah. Uh, with the three city thing did not fly. Right. Um. But uh. But you know one being what it was was 
unbelievable because that was just, you know, the, the significance of that. Yeah. I really can't say anything bad about three is arguably the best ever. I was, uh, I was just I, about to, I was just about to say three is probably the best. Seven, 17 is probably my favorite, but yeah. I think that's the best ever, but three is right there. Oh, As a child, so it was three. Uh, oh my God. I can watch three over and over and over and I can, and 17 uh, in that era was so good, so much better than everything else. My friend, you know, my Seth, my buddy, he hates 19. Uh, mm. He thinks that's the worst. And uh, a lot of people don't say that because that was Brock Angle and uh, Hogan and uh, Vince, you know. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, it was I, – I don't know. I – I, them, and a lot of people said that's grown through the years on their on their radar. So what what's your what's your least favorite? You'd say nine. Yeah, I would say nine. Um, thirteen is up there. Thirteen is up there. Which one is the one with uh, the Iron Man match? The high, highly uh, that match was terrible. that was twelve. That was twelve. 12. I did not like that match. And I was uh, like, I was like, oh, everyone's got to do holds and wrestling. Like, even as a kid, I hated that match. I hated that. I was so, I was bored to tears. They're I, just boring because you know nothing's going to happen until the last minute. You know, yeah. that's just how they all are. I mean, we've had some Iron Man matches on the indie scene. And, you know, even though they were well wrestled matches and like yeah. everyone was into it, I think you're still sort of fighting against the fact that everyone knows nothing's really, it's going to come down to the last 10 seconds or whatever's really going to happen. So, uh, sort of foreshadowing that is not good for the actual match. But, um, Nine, 13. nine, nine for me was just so unwatchable. I mean, as a kid, of course, I liked Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I even liked, you know, uh, the Giant Goods All Smash. Was like, oh my God, Undertaker, you know, like you take it out this big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a kid. So it's. Like I mean, my favorite, my personal favorite, because of the fact I was a kid, was seven. There was nothing bigger in my school. There was nothing bigger in my life than Warrior versus Hogan. That was the be all. There, every I remember everybody at my school talking about that the next day. Like they were like, okay. "Oh my god, did you see Warrior versus Hogan?" Oh my god, you know that to me was my favorite. I just I have such fond memories of of that card. So nine, it was Tatanka and Shawn Michaels. That was oh, Sherry. Yeah. Yes. I remember that. So so Tito actually opened it against Papa Shango. But, but, <laughs> see, uh, that card is yeah, trash. This is trash. So, so the Steiner brothers and the Head Shrinkers. Doink okay. versus Crush oh. with the double doinks. Uh, oh. Razor Ramon and, ba- and Backland. Oh. Um, money. So, so Money Inc. versus the Mega Maniacs, which was no good. Yeah. Luger, perfect. Oh. Undertaker, perfect, Gonzalez. Perfect couldn't the, even save that one. Uh, no. And then the finish of uh, Yokozuna beats Bret Hart and then Ho- Hogan beats oh. Yokozuna. So, so yeah, it was uh, – no, on paper, that's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty bad. Yeah. And that was Jim Ross's debut. Yes, it was, which in a toga. So that was always funny yeah. to look back at that. And well, Chris, uh, in closing, what was your favorite Starcade card? Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> none of them. But uh, all they, they, of them. Correct answer. As- all of them. I fell asleep during all of them, so I don't know. <laughs> did you um, did you actually fall asleep during Starcade cards? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I just see. never, I just never watched them really because I didn't watch that second rate crap. So you know, yeah, it was way better know. than WWE, so it doesn't matter. Uh. <laughs> and every, I guess, in the ring with presentation and everything else, wise, not true. 
You don't like your arena smoke filled and dark. <laughs> Come on. I, I don't know the the graphics and everything else were so. I mean, you, I, I do you remember when there were so many players' name with the with wrong? A yeah. Can you imagine doing that? I can like when when anything was wrong. You rarely oh. saw anything ever wrong in a lower third on a WWE card. That was rarely. because Vince would just absolutely kill you if that uh -huh. ever happened. Oh but you God. have this like laser show behind Ric Flair and they spell his name wrong, dude. I mean, let's be honest. I love NWA, but they were riddled with production problems. Riddled. Oh, they were. They were. And they, they were, were part of it. And they yeah. were part of a television production business at, at, at that point. So I don't know why, but dude, just real fast, like 13's yeah. horrible. Billy Gunn versus Flash Funk. Okay. Ooh. The Headbangers Ooh. defeated Ferno Slafon, the Godwins, and the New Blackjacks. Horrible. Uh, Rocky Maivia defeated the Sultan. Horrible. Uh, Triple H defeated Goldust. That was probably okay. Yeah. With China and Marlena. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's when I think she – did she take – I can't remember when she had Marlena like a ragdoll and threw around. No, I think that was that. I think that was uh, – uh, Owen Hart and Bulldog versus Mankind Invader. That was probably yeah. okay. Bret Hart and Stone Cold, obviously great. Perfect. And then – Ahmed Johnson, a Legion of Doom, taking on the Nation of Domination. <laughs> and then Undertaker versus Psycho Sid. So I just... Yeah, but see, I think that's a better card than nine. I think You're probably right. You're right. On paper, it's it's probably better, but it's was, not good. I was telling my wife last night, we were talking about the blood thing in Hell in the Cell. And I was telling her about the Austin Hart double turn. And I was like, I still cannot find the... I know when it happened. I cannot tell when Hart bladed Stone Cold. Oh yeah, I don't know. It was that's when they it, actually tried to hide it. It was masterful. I mean, I I mean, some guys just saw their heads off now, and it's no big deal. But sure. like, I like slowed it down, and I was like, click, 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 click. I'm like, I don't know when he actually bladed him. Like, I, I mean, again, Austin says the point in the match. This is where he gigged me. Blah blah blah. I can't see it. I cannot see it and that is oh that's what i love about wrestling when the that's, magic you can't find it and that's I, great oh was, that match is perfect from top Speak, to bottom I, perfect i have to bring this up yeah before we leave uh, like <laughs> syringe to the penis okay so what is the next level because i think the only orifice not used at this point to my knowledge i don't think effie has ever done this uh has anything been stuck in someone's butthole I mean, because yes. I think that's the only there has been. OK, I, because that's the last orifice that I think can really be dealt with at this point. They do the thumb in the butt spot. So if that counts. OK, now I, I thought uh, I, I was I was confused because I remember Effie did something with Marco stunt and I thought that had something to do with that. But then really, that was just Marco putting a dildo in his mouth, I believe. So, yes. Yep. OK, but the penis <laughs> to the, the syringe to the penis spot. uh that's wait, like wait, you, wait. I'm sure you watched it, right? No. What I I Oh, you haven't seen about. this? No. Oh, okay. Well, what is it? You got to look it up. It's a okay. it's the latest XPW show where the guy someone took his pants down, his penis was hanging out and he put Shut a syringe up. in his penis. You're he, lying. He, no. Okay. I thought I thought you're on top of things, but no, apparently you don't dude. know this spot. All right, so hold on. You'll have on, to watch that and get back to me. Yeah, I, I well, do you know the workers who did it? Because I bet you I know who they are. I don't know them at all. No, they look like a couple of guys that have a very bright future. <laughs> so you're telling me that they showed a man's penis and yeah. the syringe going into his penis. Yeah. 
That's unbelievable. Is this like you? Is this where we're going? You see the guy turn it? Well, I don't know. That's why I I guess I I hit it out of left field here because I figured you had seen this before. No, no, it was it was. the guy had the sort of like a jock strap on under, <laughs> I don't know what it was. He had something on underneath his trunks. He was pulled down and this guy put a syringe into his penis and the dude had to take the syringe out of his penis, then pull his pants back up and then continue the match. And that was not the finish. So I don't, I don't know. It was just a transitional spe- penis okay. syringe spot. Okay. That's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's the you, see, you can't thing. find it. That's Maybe it's been scrubbed from the internet. I don't. No, know. I haven't looked for it yet. Uh, that, okay. that I, I'm I'm marveling in the stupidity of that. When you said I have to talk about this, I'm like, what? Like, what? Do you, like, I I missed the opening comment. I guess when you talked about syringe. Anyways, I'll look this up later. Wow. Oh my god, that's so stupid. Did it happen this weekend? Uh, the wrestler whose penis got stabbed was named the Body. Okay. That's that's his name, the Body. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, anyway, anyway, the body was nothing really to like really brag about. So I don't know why you would have that nickname. But anyway, okay. well, all right. Well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna hit a high note. I figured you would have known this uh, coming, but um, no, you. I have not heard Cornette talk about this yet. Maybe he's just unlike us. Maybe he didn't want to bring it up and give them more attention. But uh, I just figured you would have something to say about it. So because you know you're like, well, my co-host loves shitty indie wrestling. <laughs> well, yeah, you like you like garbage crap like that. Like from a standpoint of like you're like fascinated by it. So you know, there you go. I am. No, you are 100 percent correct. I am. That's why I watch Bones matches. All right, and that will do it. <laughs> that will do it for this week on the worst territory in the world. Please, please, please. We are now active and live on Facebook. Chris, what was that address one more time? It's Facebook.com slash worst wrestling. And we are building an audience over there. So we, we can uh, post our page. We can post our podcast on there, but also Central States memories. And actually, I got a couple good like uh, leads on people yes. that be on the show. Kevin Wall uh, used to be an announcer for the later age stages of uh, Central States Wrestling. He had now has a radio show in Las Vegas. Had no idea about that. Also, uh, Bart Batten from the Batten Twins is still around. Uh, sent a message to him. And, uh, you know, our own Gil Rogers hooked me up with Rip Rogers. Wow, and, uh, okay. yeah, there's several several leads have come from that. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward for more. Yeah, and, we, you know, uh, I haven't talked to Chris about this yet, but we are going to start trying to catch up with our YouTube, which you can find us. Look us up at Worst Territory. And we are the first uh, search. Um, also, leave us a rating. Uh, wherever you get your podcasting needs met, give us a five-star rating. really helps us get noticed. But, you know, the podcast is growing uh, slowly but surely, and we really, really um, enjoy doing all these. We got a lot, like Chris just said, we got a lot of good interviews coming. And, uh, you know, the participation from you guys has been off the charts on Facebook. So go ahead and follow us there. And, uh, yeah, that's it for us. And we will see you next week right here on The Worst Territory in the World. That's Chris. I'm Gabe. See you next time. It's the worst day.